Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hi, everyone. I'm Michael Hoke, and this is the Yale University Press Podcast. By now, you're probably used to receiving tailored product recommendations from online retailers. The items we've searched follow us around as we browse our favorite sites, popping up as ads across the internet. What you may be less aware of is that this level of tracking is going on in brick-and-mortar stores as well. From the moment you walk into your grocery store or your favorite clothing store, you're being tracked for buying patterns, and your value as a customer is being run through complex analyses to determine whether you are worth a customer service representative's time or not. As a customer, this may lead to a much more personalized shopping experience, but for those concerned about privacy, this may be incredibly alarming. Today, I'm joined by Joseph Turo, author of The Isles Have Eyes, How Retailers Track Your Shopping, Strip Your Privacy, and Define Your Power. Joe is Robert Louis Cheon Professor of Communications and Associate Dean for Graduate Studies at the Annenberg School of Communication at the University of Pennsylvania. The New, York, the New York Times has called him the ranking wise man on some thorny new media and marketing topics, and this is a thorny one. Joe, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for asking. So first of all, how are stores already tracking customers? And by stores, we're talking about um, brick-and-mortar stores in this case, not the, tr- the, the online retailers, which we're already sort of used to. There's a whole lot of ways that, that stores do track us. One way is through beacons. There are these devices that if you have your Bluetooth on and, uh, and the company has devices in various parts of the store, as you walk through the store, uh, the company can suggest uh, ideas to you and can give you discounts based upon your history. Companies also do this via lights. They do it via signals and sounds that you can't hear, but your phone can. They do it uh, via GPS on the outside, and you're part of a marketplace of, um, of advertisements that is sent to you as you walk through the world. Uh, there are a whole variety of ways to, to lock on to people and send them material. So the beacons, I think I get, but for the for the lights, are these these are these are all sending signals to your phone, or are they you know are they doing something else? No, they're sending signals to your phone. Uh-huh. Your phone has become the quintessential marketing device. Right. Uh, as you walk through the world, it is a place that advertisers see as the great place to see you, uh, and uh, as you walk in stores, like Walmart has been trying this out. Uh, General Electric and Philips have lights, lighting systems that can work their way into your camera of your phone and detect who you are based upon your app and then again follow you through the store and give you various messages and send you various personalized uh, blandishments. So these are just like the overhead lights at your, at your store? Yeah, they're special ones, right. but they are built into the lighting system of the store, exactly. And so you don't, you might not even notice that that's happening. No, no way. Yeah. So, I think we'll get into some of the concerns about this because I, I think there are many uh, that you go into. But to start, let's maybe start on a positive note. Um, what are some of the the benefits to consumers for the level of, of data gathering that's going on around their shopping habits? Well, the benefits are, are substantial. Uh, you can walk into a store and get special messages that tell you where things you might want to look at based on your product history are. 
uh, you might get particularized discounts based upon, say, you're a person who just had a child. Mm -hmm. They know this, and so they can offer you discounts on diapers of a certain kind. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're into shoes, they might know that and give you discounts when you walk by the shoe department. Uh, if you're walking through the, uh, you know, a parking lot of a mall uh, right after you got out of your car and are heading toward a particular coffee shop, you might get a text message saying, why go to this coffee shop? We're 15 paces in the other direction and we'll give you 30% off. Uh, a cappuccino. And so there are ways in which you can parlay this stuff uh, so that it helps you. And how aware do you think, I mean, this is stuff that's going on now. You know, you get a coupon or you... you... Yeah, the biggest stores have it. The chain mm -hmm. stores, the discount stores. We're talking about Macy's. We're talking about Walmart. Mm -hmm. We're talking about Target. Right. We're talking about you know, the, the largest stores in the United States are working with this, and so are some stores like Alex and Annie, smaller uh, stores that are dealing with this kind of technology. The reason that they're doing this is that they're really afraid of Amazon, mm -hmm. uh, and they're afraid in general of the online world totally making um, the physical world uh, irrelevant. Mm -hmm. uh, what stores realize beginning around, particularly the beginning around 2011, is that they had to develop technologies that would parallel what they and their competitors were doing online, that would parallel them in the stores themselves, or else they would never be able to compete with the store, with the pure play stores on the internet, uh, online and on apps. Uh, what happened in 2011 was interesting. Amazon uh, told people right before Christmas to go into physical stores <laughs> and use their Amazon app to scan products mm -hmm. on the shelves. And if they were products that they liked and bought from Amazon, they would get a discount uh, because they were scanning the products in the stores. At the same time, of course, while they were doing this, the scores were A, losing money because they weren't selling those products, mm -hmm. and B, people around the United States were telling Amazon what the different prices were in the store. <laughs> right. So the stores got right. really angry. The executives began to say, hey, this is piracy. Mm -hmm. And uh, they began to realize they have to reorganize their way of thinking for the Internet age. And this is how we began to really get strongly into a world in which the stores themselves are trying to emulate the Internet. Right, and I mean, that, that does seem to be sort of the trend. Online, you know, maybe the flashier shopping experience as far as the look of the site isn't as important, but it's this idea that you can aggregate all this data and give the person exactly what they might not have even thought they needed next but do um, and predict that they'll, they'll buy it. Uh, it seems like it would be very difficult to replicate. Yeah, and to some extent, it's going beyond that. Uh, Amazon is beginning to experiment with physical stores. Right. And they are creating a prototype in Seattle. It already exists. Right. Uh, where in order to go into the store, you have to be noticed in terms <laughs> of your personal identity. Uh -huh. You cannot walk into the store if they don't know who you are. And the reason for that is you have to essentially register through your phone. As you go into the store, according to the reports, uh, you pick up everything you pick up is 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 uh, noticed by Amazon. 
even if you put it away, they track everything you do in the store. If you put it into your bag and you walk out, that's okay because they know exactly that, mm-hmm. and they charge you for it without you going even through a checkout. Right. But the point is, every single thing that you do in that store is monitored by the company, so they know what you like, what you might like, what you decided not to buy, as well as what you decided to buy. And, yeah, I mean, you talk about um, even even little things like uh, the self-checkouts at, at grocery stores, which are pretty pretty common now. They A lot of them will... Uh, sort of use algorithms to, to figure out that, hey, he's this person's bought the same thing they always buy, so it's very unlikely that they're stealing anything. But if you maybe go off that script, script a little bit, you may get a, a stopped at the door. That's uh, particularly companies that do this. It's not so much self-checkout. It's uh-huh. checkout in the aisles. Uh-huh. So Walmart was trying out, for example, a situation where you can... It's a little like what I said with the Amazon store, but a bit more primitive. Instead of them having all these sensors around the store that where they collect this data about you is what Amazon does. What uh, Walmart and other places have been trying is you scan the product with your phone as you put it in your basket. So you right. don't have to, to check out at all when you pass through the, the checkout counters. There's no reason to recheck out. The problem, of course, is theft. Mm-hmm. And so as you were just suggesting, what they do uh, is they have these algorithms that try to predict where, how much to check a person's goods as they walk out. Some people might be checked more than other people based upon the algorithm's prediction of their chances of stealing stuff. <laughs> so how, how aware do you think the everyday consumer is of this going on in the, the physical stores? I don't think people just... Uh, we haven't done any research on this mm-hmm. yet. But I don't think people are aware at all mm-hmm. about um, the intensity that some stores have regarding uh, the use of these sorts of technology. It's not just the beacons. Some people know about them. Many people don't. It's not just these signals that people can't hear. Mm-hmm. The, there's an app called Shopkick that uses that and, and that gives you points for scanning products. And people know who have the app that this happens, but they don't know necessarily what happens around it. Mm-hmm. But it's also even the frequent shopper cards that are used to create quite complex understandings, profiles of people that aren't necessarily used as much now as they might be in the future. Mm-hmm. And until just a few years ago, they were hardly used at all. Companies would have a huge amount of data, grocery stores, for example, about people, and they really weren't using it very much. But more and more companies are beginning to figure that these data are very valuable, both to them and to their uh, perhaps advertisers online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they are beginning to, to hire companies or even buy companies that help them to analyze this material and to score people in terms of their value to the store and to decide what products are more valuable to just sort of suggest to them compared to other products. And some of this data is being sold to other stores. For example, if your, your data is on file at Walmart, I'm, hypothetically, they, they might sell it to another store. Yeah, I, it, some stores sell. I don't believe that Walmart uh-huh. does. But, uh, and a lot of stores deny they do it, mm-hmm. and it's very odd because if you go to companies like Axiom and Experian, 
mm-hmm. Exalate, and a few others. They clearly have data about uh, people's purchases in the uh, offline world. Uh, and uh, there's a company, for example, called Data Logics that connects people, uh, helps websites connect people to offline activities, to their online activities. And I'm sure physical stores can buy those kinds of data too. Companies do sell their um, the records that mm-hmm. they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, physical stores do do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know who they are because stores don't really like to talk about it. Right. And you also talk about, um, speaking of data coming from maybe sources you wouldn't have even thought of, some some places are able to sort of crawl your Facebook profile and, and find out what you're talking about there, right? Yeah, and it's surprising. If you read the uh, privacy policy of Target, for example, last time I looked, mm-hmm. uh, Target says it has the right to look at what you say in your social media areas <laughs> to help to profile you. <laughs> Many companies do this. Right. Particularly, they want to see what you say about them. But there are companies out there that spend a lot of time figuring what people do in their social media worlds because more and more companies, retailers, and other firms feel that they can learn a lot about what people really think and what their predispositions are when it comes to purchasing. Uh, are you really looking for a car? Are you looking for a bridal dress? Are you looking for this or that? It may come up first in social media, mm-hmm. and then they could send you an ad uh, relating to that. Yeah, that's you bring up a good point about privacy policy. So, I mean, obviously these things are usually laid out in privacy policies, which I... I'm one of the guilty ones who does not read them. Um, should we be reading them, first of all? And second of all, is there really anything you can do if there's something in there that you don't like about the privacy policy? Well, these are two really good questions. Uh, should we be reading them? Uh, I like to read privacy policies, but then again, I have some experience doing it. <laughs> Most people would not understand a privacy policy mm-hmm. uh, full-blown. Uh, partly it's because the companies like to use language that is more clouding up issues rather than being straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, people who write privacy policies, whom I've spoken to, they're lawyers, they tell me that privacy policies are not really meant to be read by ordinary people. They're contracts, uh-huh. and they're meant essentially to be used as contracts to protect, protect the company to say, yeah, we told you that this is what we do, but they don't really expect, oddly enough, that people will read it. Um, whether or not they really tell people what's, what they're doing is an interesting question. On some issues, they do. On other issues, they kind of um, speak so broadly that it's very hard to figure out what they're really saying about things mm-hmm. uh, to give them enough space to do virtually anything. But, for example, I found out that Walmart was experimenting with some of the uh, lighting products that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. trying to track people through lights by reading their privacy policy. (laughs) Uh, I couldn't find an article in the trade press or anywhere else to talk about it, but the Walmart figured they had to write something in their privacy policy to protect themselves from it. So, now, whether people should be reading privacy policies... I think that it would be a good idea to read them to get an idea 
of what companies are really doing. Even if you don't understand much of it, mm-hmm. you'll get a sense. Don't just read the first paragraph, though, because oftentimes that will say, we care about your privacy. Right. But then you have to read down below, and you realize that they don't care as much as you would like them to. Right. Um, so people would get a sense of what's really going on if they at least tried to dip into some privacy policies. So... I think some of this is obvious, but why why should we be concerned about this? What 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 should bother us, or what should uh, concern us about this? Actually, it's a very good question. I I don't think that it's necessarily obvious. Particularly, we are living in a society where giving up data is becoming so obvious <laughs> that right. it's not you know it's not clear to some people why we should be concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually answer in three ways when people ask me this about why should we be concerned about marketing data. Uh, you know, say, well, I can understand if the CIA were tracking me or if the FBI were tracking me, I'd be nervous. Mm-hmm. But why should I care if Kroger uses my data? Why should I care if Target uh, follows me around and does certain things with my data? Mm-hmm. And I, there are three ways to talk about it, not necessarily about Kroger or Target, but in general. One is to say that the profiles that are created through our purchases and that are often sent to third-party firms to aggregate, to bring together, those can come back and bite us in ways that we don't even understand. There are ways that companies can do what we call big data work, which are really, what I think a better phrase for that is predictive analytics. Things that you may not think are a big deal can be combined with other things to make generalizations about you that you might even, not even think people would make. <laughs> so if you buy certain foods and if you buy certain over-the-counter drugs, all of that stuff can be aggregated and compared to other people who do the same thing. And companies may come up with ideas about you that you, whether they're true or not, you might think are really none of their business. Mm-hmm and that might, for example, say that you're too fat to have a certain kind of job or that you are likely not to be a good employee Hmm. uh, based upon profiles that are created based upon your shopping activities. Let's say they find that you give back a lot of products very often around Christmas time. Mm -hmm. And people who do that, let's say, tend to be lazy on the job. Let's just say, mm-hmm. predictively, maybe 100,000 people who are studied have that profile, and that relates to that. Well, that may affect some employer's sense of whether they should think about hiring you. Or um, uh, maybe your profile might dissuade an insurance company from sending an ad to you. So that's one, one potential problem. The next possible problem I would suggest is that as we move into the 21st century, We're getting into an era where the ways in which people shop are fundamentally changing. It used to be that, uh, at least for the last hundred years, as I talk about in the book, Mm -hmm. that retailing was essentially, the ideology was that it was open to all. Anybody could walk into a store, the prices were posted, and if you had the money, you could buy it. You supposedly saw everything. Mm-hmm. Now, that wasn't always the case, and certainly there was racism and prejudice, and I talk about that in the book as well. But the norm was that the store should be open to all and the prices should be posted for all. Uh, that wasn't the case before the mid-19th century when peddlers 
and small merchandisers ran merchandising in America. And oftentimes what they did is they would look at the person, know about their networks, come up with some kind of sociology that predicted who they were, some stereotype, and then charge them what they thought they could get away with and show them only things they thought they might have the money to buy. Mm -hmm. And what I argue in the book is we're going back to a kind of back to the future. We're entering an era where more and more stores are giving people prices through their phones that are different from other people. And they're judging people based upon these profiles that have been created that we have no control over, that may not even be profiles that we like or even accurate. And they are determining how we walk through the world in terms of the discounts we get, the prices we get, the status that we have. So that you have a situation where increasingly we may have a corrosive public sphere where when people go into stores they begin more and more to worry, what image do I have? How do, how do these stores see me? Why is that person getting a discount, or is that person getting a discount different from me? Mm-hmm. So I argue that in the 21st century, that raises a corrosiveness about a very important part of our lives, which is shopping. Take some of the dignity out of it mm-hmm. that we used to have previously. That's the uh, second point. And the third point that I argue in the book is the notion of a hidden curriculum. That it's not just about physical retailing. That essentially, what, while everyone is fighting about the NSA and the FBI and data, while people are worried about data online and stuff, on an everyday basis, people are giving up their data willy-nilly as if it's logical through frequent shopper cards, through keeping their apps on and the Bluetooth on, so that the retailing world is teaching people. While all the other parts of the world are contesting this, we're learning on an everyday basis that to get along in the 21st century, we have to give up our data. So there's a hidden curriculum that overarchingly is teaching people, not just in retailing, but in everything it's going to be like retailing. And in 15, 20 years, no one's going to even think this was a question. It's obvious that to get along, you have to give up your data. At the beginning of the very beginning of the book, you tell that as the sort of uh, the frog placed in a boiling pot of water. If the yeah. water's already boiling, it, the frog jumps out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was this notion, I saw this at a conference, where an executive from one of the big ad agencies was saying, we have to teach people that they have to give up their data. And the way we have to do this is to make it seem like it's natural. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about a frog in boiling water. Like if you if you put the frog in the water right away that's boiling, supposedly, I don't think it's true, but supposedly <laughs> this frog will jump out. But if you, if you keep the frog in water slowly, that's the part which I think isn't true. The frog would probably jump out. But according to the myth, the frog won't understand that it's boiling. Right. And he was saying we have to do it like the frog in boiling water. We have to get people used to this new world slowly so that after a bit, they'll just take it for granted. Mm-hmm. I hear that from many people. You know, for example, in the, in the idea of um, beacons, these devices that, that are around stores that might give you different prices as you walk around with your phone. Well, I've, there's a company called InMarket that says to retailers, don't 
change the prices too often to people when they come into the store. Just do it once or twice for every visit so they won't get freaked out. <laughs> and over time, maybe that they will be, you'll be able to do this. But just get people used to the whole idea because this is so new. See? So for those of us who are concerned about privacy, obviously we can't stop shopping. So what are there any right. steps we can take to at least provide uh, a little bit of privacy or protection of this, this data? I think you have to uh, think about where you stand with respect to all of this. It's very, very complicated. Um, a person, there are people who try to go off the grid. Mm -hmm. I was in Canada until not too long ago and in Toronto, and one person in an audience I was talking about the book, and he raised his hand and said, you know, I just don't use frequent shopper cards, I don't use credit cards, I don't use Bluetooth, I don't have anything on my phone that anybody can track. And he said, what happened to me as a result, when I applied for a loan, nobody knew what to do with me. <laughs> Because they had no data about me. Right. So going off the grid itself can be an interesting problem. But, um, it, you know, so I think most people can't be that extreme. Mm -hmm. Frankly, if you didn't use a frequent shopper card in your supermarket, you'd probably lose about 20% mm -hmm. because that's how you get your discounts. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a cost-benefit analysis. Uh, I would be really careful, for example... Uh, about what apps you have on at any one time. Mm -hmm. I do not allow apps to track me mm -hmm. if I can help it. Some apps, when you when you download an app, it'll say something like, can we know your location? Mm -hmm. Even if the app has nothing to do with location. Right. And the reason they do that is because they sell it. Uh -huh. They will, if, if they know lo your location and they can track it, they then say, okay, now we know where Joe Turo is, We'll put them in a marketplace, and anybody who wants to reach Joe Turo through, a, through text messaging or an ad in an app can do that now. Mm -hmm. So I, I would avoid that. If you don't want stores tracking you, keep your Bluetooth off. Shut your Wi-Fi off if you go into a store. That's not easy, too, because people want to compare prices with Wi-Fi. <laughs> right. And they want to have apps on sometimes because they have excuse me, discounts. So all these things are tough to do. But it is possible to shut Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, keep your apps closed. A lot of times apps will uh, be sleeping, and you don't realize it. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, Waze, uh, which is a traffic app, yep. it will go to sleep. It'll, it'll keep using your data and figure out where you are. So if you want Waze not to do this, you have to shut it off, actively shut it off. Hmm. And same with a lot of other programs. <coughs> So, um, a couple of questions about maybe the future of all of this, and this is probably some hypothetical, but I'm sure there's some stuff in the pipeline. First of all, uh, what's, what kind of data do retailers want that they're not currently able to get? That's a good question. I think retailers would love to know what you do with your products mm -hmm. on an everyday basis in the home. Mm-hmm. There are some attempts by Nielsen to to um, get those data through panel research, but if if companies could figure that out, mm -hmm. I think they would love that. There are now refrigerators that have data about what you put in there that you can 
you know, use and, and track mm-hmm. your stuff and whether how long something has been in it, uh, whether or not, um, you know, you uh, you need to repurchase something. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Amazon has these buttons that allows uh, that allow you to push a button and know and right away replenish something. Uh, sometimes they even have a deal where after a certain point in time, they will replenish it automatically. Hmm. So there are ways to try to get into the house and try to figure out um, what people do with the products once they buy them. Um, I was talking to somebody from IBM who was saying that there's a capacity with certain kinds of phones that have NFC chips, near-field communication chips, where a lipstick could talk to you. (laughs) If you have a lipstick um, canister that has a chip in it, it could talk to the chip in your phone and it can tell you what kind of things to wear given the weather today hmm. based upon the chip talking to your phone's chip, sending information to the central computers of the cosmetics company, and then coming down with that information to your phone. <laughs> so there are ways in which products can encourage a conversation within the domestic sphere. And I think that's part of the... Um, you know, more and more companies are trying to do that because they want to they want to get to you while you're actually using the product. And uh, I don't know how devices like the Amazon, you know, um, Home or Google, uh-huh. the Google Home products, right. where the assistants, you know, Alexa right. is Amazon's assistant, for example. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they fit into this um, this idea, but they could. Mm-hmm. It's possible that. Over time, what you do at home uh, will be part of what Amazon says to you uh, in your home. So, do you do you foresee po- that p- possibly being the sort of next step in tracking retail is actually coming into your home and, and finding out how you how you're using these things and when you're running out? And yeah, it may be that uh, you'll give information to Amazon about what you're doing as a way, for example, to get certain kinds of discounts. Uh, or maybe even you'll allow Amazon to figure that out somehow uh, based upon noises in your house and different parts of your house. Um, so there are ways in which it, but I, I do believe the, the home is the next area, a big area for uh, this kind of intrusion. All right. Well, the book is The Isles Have Eyes, How Retailers Track Your Shopping, Strip Your Privacy, and Define Your Power. Uh, Joe, thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you. It was very interesting. I appreciate it. That does it for this episode of the Yale University Press podcast. Thank you for listening, and please visit us online at www.yalebooks.com to keep up with this podcast as well as the latest from our blog and our authors. For more episodes, please subscribe on iTunes or find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite app.